Great. Uh, those of you, oh, someone started the recording again, probably accidentally. Peggy, do you mind stopping that? All participants have been muted. Hi, everyone. This is Jenny Bradbury from PBS Teachers. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. It's wonderful to have you here. We have a great uh, collection of speakers with us tonight. I see one of them seemed to have popped off, and then I, he just rejoined us. So I'm hoping that Chris is, is able to get in OK. Chris, do you want to just test your mic quickly and let us know that you're here? I'm having a hard time hearing Chris. Um, so you may want to try uh, calling in on the teleconference line instead, Chris. You can do that by clicking on the phone icon on the bottom, and it'll give you the number. Or I can put it into the uh, chat window for you. I'm going to go ahead and get started because we have a, a very full um, list of speakers tonight and a lot to talk about. And I think it's going to be a very interesting conversation. So um, if everyone, you know, welcome everyone to PBS Teachers Live. This is a webinar series that's co-hosted by PBS Teachers and Classroom 2.0. My co-moderator, Steve Hargadon, unfortunately couldn't be with us tonight. He was very sorry to miss tonight's event. But we will be posting full recordings of tonight's event on both the PBS Teachers and the Classroom 2.0 website. So rest assured that um, you will have access to everything that's being presented tonight after the event is over. Um, hang on one sec. I see that Chris is looking for the number. Um, Peggy, could you put the number of the chat line in the, in the window there for Chris so that he can join us by the, on the teleconference line, please? Uh, we're also joined tonight by, by Peggy from uh, Illuminate, who's helping to do backup. So if people have any sort of technical questions or issues, um, you can uh, ask those, and, and Peggy will help us out with those. Uh, so tonight's event is all about copyright and fair use in the art world and the classroom. We have a great collection of speakers who include the filmmaker of a film called Copyright Criminals, which recently aired on Independent Lens, as well as um, an eminent copyright lawyer and, and law professor, two teachers who are uh, making media with students, and, um, and a curriculum and outreach specialist who is going to tell you about a curriculum that was designed in association with this film. So before we get started, I want to give folks an overview um, or an orientation to illuminate so you know how to use this space if you haven't been in a webinar here before. You'll see the slide on the right there shows that there are a number of features that we're going to be using tonight. Uh, there is a raise hand button, which I'm going to click now, and you'll see it puts a number up next to my name showing that I'm raising my hand. A lot of people uh, 
click on this accidentally, thinking that they're uh, giving applause or, or taking a poll. So if for some reason you click on this and you don't mean to, you can always click on that same icon again and put your hand down. Uh, generally speaking, if you have a question, it's best to just put it right in the chat window and we'll do our best to answer it um, as soon as we can. Um, often it takes a little while for us to get to folks who have hands raised, but if you do have a question and you want to raise your hand, we'll try to get to you as soon as we can. You'll see next to that, I see uh, someone's raised their hand. I'm not sure if that's really a question or not, but um, if it is, please go ahead and put it in the chat window right now because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going with our orientation here. I'm going to put your hand down for a sec. Um, so next to the raised hand, you'll see there are a series of emoticons. There's a smiley face that you can give if you are liking what you're hearing or uh, a clapping hand for applause. There's also a confused face if something's not making sense to you and a thumbs down, but hopefully we won't get any of those tonight. Then if you look over to the right, there are polling features. There is a green check and a red X. We're going to be asking some questions early on to get a sense of who's here in the audience with us. So you'll want to click on that green check and you'll see I just did that. It put a check next to my name in the participant window um, or the, the red X. And we'll be asking some multiple choice questions as well. And you'll see when we do that that the options change from the green check and the red X to A, B, C, D, or E. So to, to, to participate in the polling questions, you'll just click on those little icons there right below the participant window. Then if you look a little bit further down in the left column, you'll see the chat space, which is already very active, which is terrific. Please feel free to chat away during tonight's event, ask questions, make comments, and our presenters will do their best uh, to address those either right away in the chat window or we'll have a Q&A section towards the end where we'll be able to address some of those questions as well. Um, please know that you'll see that next to the Send button there's a drop-down menu and you can choose to participate um, just by, you know, by sending a message to this room or to the moderators or to selected participants. Um, you can send quote unquote private messages, but moderators see every message that's sent. So your messages aren't in fact completely private from us. So um, we, want to, we want you to know that up front just in case you think you're sending secret messages without us being aware of that. Um, that's the basic um, info that you need to know about the left column. Uh, you'll see that there are also some whiteboard tools. We're going to be putting up a map in a minute and you're going to want to click on the um, icon that's about halfway down in the right column that looks like a wand with a little red dot on the end and you'll have a chance to show us where you are. So I'm going to go ahead and forward to that slide. If you, uh, you'll see now you have a little pen next to your name. Go ahead and click on the icon on the right that looks like a wand with a red dot and click on the map and show us where you are. We'll be, we'll be bringing up a U.S. map in a minute, but we always like to start with the world map just in case we have people who are participating from far, far away. Um, in the past, we've had folks in Argentina and Australia and Europe and East Asia, so it's fun to see that. But it looks like tonight we're, we're pretty much all in the U.S. Well, we had some, a big, very important, oops, that, no, it's a traveling star. I thought it was in South America, but it appears to be moving. Um, yes, and, and, and Peggy says if your dot doesn't go right where you want, you can click and drag it. So I'm going to go ahead and, and forward to the next slide, which is a slide of the U.S. And please go ahead and, and using that same wand, click on this, this map and show us where you are in the U.S. So we have a lot of... A lot of people all over the place tonight, which is great. Big cluster in California, which is great. A lot of people in the middle. And then a number of you from Hawaii. And it looks like someone down there in the Caribbean. Someone's in Cuba, perhaps. Maybe. That would, that would be exciting. I don't think we've ever had anyone from Cuba before. Well, welcome, everybody. We're, we're thrilled to have you join us. Here is a, um, an overview of tonight's agenda so you know what to expect. We're going to start off with uh, filmmaker Kembrew McLeod, who's going to give you an introduction to his film Copyright Criminals. Then we're going to have uh, law professor Peter Jazzy, who is an expert on copyright and fair use law, give us an overview of uh, the status of the law today. Then we'll have Chris Rundy from uh, Bay Area Video Coalition talk about 
creating media with students and some of the issues that he runs into there uh, regarding copyright and fair use. And then um, teacher Joe Fothery uh, is going to join us and talk about um, his experience in the classroom uh, running a, a multimedia program with students. And then um, after these brief introductions of each of our speakers, we're going to have um, a, a sort of panel discussion moderated by Annalise Wunderlich from ITVS. Um, talking about some of these issues, um, and our speakers are going to be asking each other questions, and that's a great time for you to be putting your own questions into the chat window, because as soon as the panel discussion sort of wraps up, then we're going to open it up for audience Q&A, um, and hopefully you'll get a lot of your questions answered by um, some of these experts here. And then before we wrap up, Annalise is going to take us um, to the, uh, the online, she's going to show us the um, ITBS Independent Lens website, and she's going to show you a, a terrific curriculum that has been created uh, for use with the film Copyright Criminals to help you bring these, um, these topics into your classroom using video modules and lesson plans. So that is our agenda for tonight. Before we get into it, though, we want to know a little bit about you and who you are. So we have a couple questions here. So using the polling features underneath the, the participant window, if you could give us a green check if the answer is yes, I, uh, my students produce media, and a red X if the answer is no, so that we can get a sense of how many of you are making media with students currently. Okay, it looks like we have a critical mass who have responded here, so I'm going to go ahead and publish the results. So it looks like just over half of you are currently creating media with students, which is terrific, and then we have about 25% who are not and 25% who haven't answered yet or thinking about it. Uh, our next question is, do your students use copyrighted material in their projects? Again, if you would give us a green check for yes or a red X for no. Okay, so here we have over 60 or about 60% saying yes, 10% uh, no, and 28% none, so no answer. Now we'd like to know um, a little bit more detail about who you are and, and what level you teach. So I'm going to go ahead and change these options to multiple choice. And if you'd go ahead and give us an A, B, C, D, or E to let us know the level of students that you work with, that would be great. And if the answer is other, you can go ahead and, and type in the chat window and let us know what other means. Okay, so it looks like we have, have quite a good distribution here of uh, different grade levels. Put that over the side a little bit. So I guess the, the, a slight majority of high school teachers, but a lot of elementary, quite a few middle, and then um, some, some college and some other as well. So that's great. And last but not least, what subject do you teach? And we may get a lot of others here. We tried to sort of guess which subjects would be most uh, relevant, you know, or th with this topic. But um, we're curious to see uh, whether you all or teach these subjects or, or something completely different. And if you do, yeah, if you don't, if your answer is other, please let us know what it is that you teach. So a lot of technology coordinators, art, media, science, STEM, so a nice diversity here. Yeah, in fact, the vast majority of you are other, so clearly our, our prediction that we'd have a lot of language arts or media teachers was, was not correct, so that's very interesting to see. Okay, so before I introduce Kembrew, and Annalise is actually going to uh, going to interview him a little bit, I'm going to go ahead and pull up um, a clip of the film so that you can get a taste of, of Copyright Criminals, the film that we're going to be talking about this evening. So you should all be looking at the Independent Lens site. Could you give me a smiley face to let me know that that's showing up for you? Okay, good. I'm seeing a lot of smiley faces. That's great. Now, if you would go ahead and click um, 
press play on your machine on this first um, video that you see loaded here, the one that says Shock G Digital Underground. We're going to play this clip, which is a minute and 25 seconds, and does a nice job of, of giving us a, a taste for this really interesting film. So go ahead and press play on your end, and when the clip ends, we will uh, meet Kembrew. Okay, so welcome, Kembrew. Um, in addition to being a filmmaker, Kembrew is an associate professor of communication studies at the University of Iowa. Lost the sound. Let's see. Um. Okay, sound is back. Hi, all. Sorry, I was having a little mic trouble there. Uh, I, I wanted to welcome Kembrew. Um, McLeod, who is an Associate Professor of Communication Studies at the University of Iowa and an independent documentary filmmaker and one of the creators of Copyright Criminals, which we just saw um, a, a small clip of Kembrew's uh, Freedom of Expression, Resistance, and Repression in the Age of Intellectual Property, received the American Library Association's Obler Book Award for Best Scholarship in the Area of Intellectual Freedom in 2006. He's co-authored a number of books on intellectual property law and, the, and, and popular music and the cultural impact of intellectual property law and made a number of films on the subject as well. So he's a real expert and we're thrilled to have him join us. Welcome, Kembrew. Thank you. Hi, Kembrew. This is Hi, Kembrew. This is Annalise from the Independent Television Service. And I just wanted to start off your introduction by getting you to describe for everyone briefly what the film is about. We saw a trailer, but it would be great to hear more. Yes, so the, the film basically is a, a recent history of the development of remix culture. And by remix culture, I mean uh, the way that people nowadays, whether we're talking about 14-year-old students or hip-hop producers in their 30s or whatever, uh, the way that people use digital technologies to recreate, remix, uh, well, their cultural environment. Um, and the story that this documentary tells, Copyright Criminals, um, really specifically traces the rise of remix culture out of, well, the development of hip hop music um, starting in the South Bronx in the 1970s and um, through to the introduction of, well, what was then a new digital technology, uh, uh, the sampler. So I'll turn off my mic now so I won't echo. Great. And can you just tell us a little bit about how you got interested in the subject of the film and why you think it's an important story to put on PBS? Yeah. Well, thanks for asking that. Um, I mean, 
one professor of mine once told me all scholarship is autobiography, and in many ways that's the case with this film. I, I, I'm 39 years old. Basically, I grew up with hip hop music as a young kid. It was it was the equivalent of my rock and roll, I guess. It was this new music that sounded unlike anything my parents had heard, but it made complete sense to me. Um, it was a and especially. Uh, especially the way that they used samples, uh, they used previous songs that I was aware of, or maybe wasn't aware of, but I was aware that it was a sample, and to create something new. And uh, and meanwhile, when I was a teenager, I was really interested in making sound collages. So I figured out a way how to jury rig my Kmart stereo so I could make multi-track recordings and weird sound collages. So that's how I got interested in the subject. And then I started studying the copyright aspect of it once. Um, a lot of my favorite artists started getting sued uh, around the early 1990s. That is, a lot of my favorite hip-hop artists, as well as a kind of um, well-known avant-garde sound collage group called Negative Land. All these lawsuits started happening right around the same time. And, and it was at that point when I realized I hadn't thought about this issue as a copyright issue, as a legal issue. I'd only been thinking about the music in terms of aesthetics. And so that's what got me interested in copyright law, the fact that people were being sued. Great. Um, can you tell us a little bit about some of the legal challenges that you faced yourself when making the film? Yeah. Um, well, making a documentary that documents people infringing copyright raises, well, the obvious irony that by documenting it, by us fixing, you know, those sounds and images to a medium, our film, um, we ourselves potentially could run afoul of the law. And I say potentially because there's a reason why our film is not illegal or breaking the law. And Peter Yazzie will talk more about that um, after we're done talking to me. Um, uh, he'll talk about the doctrine of fair use. Uh, but I'll do a, a really brief job of sort of explaining what that is, and then Peter can clarify uh, or, or expand. So fair use is a part of the 1976 Copyright Act that allows for us teachers, for instance, to use copyrighted materials in the classroom. It allows for um, it allows for reporters and others to quote from audio and video of copyrighted sources for the purposes of uh, reporting, or and it allows critics to do the same thing. Um, so fair use means that you don't have to ask for permission to use a reasonable quotation, uh, reasonably linked, uh, I, I should rephrase, yeah, fair use, first of all, doesn't require you to ask for permission to use someone else's work. But of course, I mean, just to go back to the, the term fair use, your use has to be fair. In other words, if you're basically just using it to get a free ride off of someone else's labor, then, um, then that's not a fair use. And I don't think that's the case with our film. That is, I don't think we're uh, using other people's copyrighted works um, in the service of telling the story about the rise of remix culture. I, I, I think, um, and Peter, who advised us, who is one of our copyright advisors for the film, would agree that um, all of the uses of other people's media uh, in our film in order to tell that story of the rise of remix culture, are, they're all fair uses. Um, and uh, perhaps without me going on too long, because I know we need to stay on schedule, uh, Peter can use our film as an example of, um, uh, well, uh, as an example of and an ex explanation of how to better understand what uses are fair and, and what might be going too far. Great. Well, I think Great. that's Thanks, a terrific way to, to introduce Peter. Uh, so we're joined by Peter Yazzie, who is a faculty director of the Glushko Samuelson Intellectual Property Law Clinic and professor of law at the Washington College of Law at American University. And I see in the chat space that um, we already have some big Peter fans in the audience here, folks who have heard you speak at other, at other places and times, Peter. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, maybe you can um, provide us with um, a little overview of copyright and fair use um, and, and speak to some of the things that Kembrew was talking about. Well, I'll certainly try. Thank you very much, Annalise, and, 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 and thank you all for, for tuning in. 
uh, Kemper has actually made my life very easy because everything he's said about fair use and about the application of fair use to copyright criminals is absolutely correct. And I'll, I'll try in a minute to expand on some of those good points. But let me step back for a moment, and although I, I think it's probably unnecessary, say, sorry to interrupt. You asked me to. Peter, folks are saying they're having a hard time hearing you. So if you could speak a little more loudly, that would be terrific. Okay, I'll do my best. Is this any better? Well, I'm going to yes, assume that definitely. it is and, and go ahead. And what I said earlier is that Kimberly had, had made my life very easy by saying all sorts of important things about fair use and about copyright criminals and the application of fair use to that film very fully and accurately. So I think I'm just going to start by taking one step back and saying a word about copyright. We all know what copyright is and, and, and what it does, but we sometimes lose track of why it is. And that is, of course, to promote creativity. That's in the Constitution. It's perfectly clear. Copyright isn't about securing anyone's economic interest as such. It is about creating legal conditions in which culture can flourish. And that means that we all need some protection for our cultural productions, and we all need a reasonable amount of access to other people's copyrighted material in order to carry on and use it to build upon. And it's in connection with providing that access that this fair use doctrine that's been a part of American copyright law since 1841 functions. What the doctrine says in, in the simplest but also the most accurate summary is that sometimes unauthorized, unlicensed, unconsented to uses of copyrighted material are permitted. That means they're not infringements, even though under other circumstances they might be, because they contribute materially to cultural progress without doing a great deal of economic harm to anyone else along the way. Well, how do you tell if a use is fair? Section 107 of the Copyright Act has a so-called four-factor test. You asked about the kind of use that's being made, the kind of work that's being used, the amount of the use, the economic effect of the use. But in the last 20 years, our courts have really made this, in a way, very simple. Because these days, at least in the kind of settings that we're talking about, the creative context, courts really ask just two questions when they get to the question of whether a use is fair. And one of those questions is whether the use is transformative, which means does it add a significant amount of value to whatever material was borrowed or quoted or assimilated, and does it repurpose that material? Is it being offered for a, a new goal to a new audience? That's the first question. And of course, documentary films and school projects and a lot of the other kinds of uses that we're talking about today have very strong claims of transformativeness. The other question is, is the amount that's used reasonable in light of the transformative purpose? And again, that's a judgment call in every situation, but it's not in most situations a difficult judgment call to make. So in copyright criminals, uh, Benjamin Franzen and, and Kimberly McLeod, the creators of the film, quoted large amounts of copyrighted material in small units in order to illustrate a complex and significant argument about the, the rise and, to some extent, unfortunately, the fall of hip-hop culture. Every one of those quotations was transformative in the sense that I've just outlined. Or adding value, repurposing the material. It wasn't being offered for entertainment purposes. It was being offered instead to make a point, to illustrate a proposition. And those clips, those quotes, those sequences of borrowed sound or image or sound and image were all appropriate in amount to their transformative purpose. So I want to close there 
save for one thing, which is to, to suggest an irony, and I think it's a very powerful irony. The film Copyright Criminals, which is a wonderful film, is all about how a group of very creative people ran afoul of copyright law and how a new kind of creative production, hip-hop music, was, was crippled or, or, or diminished by requirements of copyright compliance. And the irony is this. Those hip-hop producers whose activities the film documents had at all given times and have today much better arguments on the basis of which to claim that their use, their sampling of pre-existing musical material is fair use than they themselves or others generally have recognized. Had there been more and better awareness of fair use at the times that are documented in copyright criminals, some of the unfortunate outcomes in terms of the flattening and diminution of hip-hop culture that the film describes might never have taken place. Peter, thank you. Uh, I, I had a follow-up question for you that I think a lot of teachers might want to know, which is, does fair use protect educators from teaching students how to sample copyrighted material in the classroom if it's not intended for distribution, but just classroom use? Absolutely so. In fact, educational use is one of the, the sweet spots, so to speak, in the, in the, the, the fair use uh, terrain the little preamble to Section 107, the fair use provision of the Copyright Act, actually affirmatively identifies education as an area in which the fair use doctrine operates. Now, that doesn't mean that every educational use is necessarily fair, but it means that educational uses are favored in fair use analysis. So as a general proposition, any argument that could be made for a documentary filmmaker on the basis of fair use can be made for a student making an equivalent use of material in the, con in the context of an educational project. In fact, the argument for the student or for that matter the teacher might even be stronger. What do you think some of the most common pitfalls are for teachers and students when it comes to copyright law? Are there any dangers of the most issue? common pitfall is hypercompliance. I think the most common pitfall is 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 to buy into the assumption that somehow if it's copyrighted, it has to be either licensed or omitted from the production. The most common pitfall, and I understand why this is so. It, it, creates a bright line, and bright lines are always attractive when you have a lot of work to do and a lot of students to deal with. The most common pitfall is to, is to take this notion of if it isn't licensed, you can't use it, and, and reify that into a rule for the classroom rather than helping students to think through for themselves using the formula that I've just described, whether or not a particular use they've made or that they propose to make is in fact a fair one. And happily, these days, there, there are a lot of wonderful tools that teachers and students can use if they choose to do so to think through those issues. Great. And in terms of students that may want to protect their own work out there, um, what do you recommend for educators in, in terms of guiding their students? Um, nothing in particular, because the, one of the wonderful and from some other standpoints terrible things about copyright law is that everything is protected automatically from the moment it's created. So no one has to do anything affirmative in order to secure protection for their work. Okay. Well, we have a lot of great uh, questions coming in through the chat that I think I'll save for the panel discussion section when we um, get to that part. And Jenny, do you want to introduce two of our educators that are here tonight to hear about their experiences in the classroom? I will. Yes, I do. Thanks, Annalise, and thanks so much, Peter. Um, yeah, there are terrific comments and questions, so I'm going to cut my, my intros very short so that um, Chris and Joe can just start presenting and then we can um, get to the Q&A. So Chris is an audio engineer, an educator, a producer, and all-around sonic enthusiast. He creates um, 
audio with students in uh, in the Bay Area, and he's going to share with us some of um, his students' work and some of his experiences working with students in media creation. Welcome, Chris. Hello. Can you hear me? Hello. I was yes, having we can some hear. Problems yes, before. we can hear you, okay. Chris. Great. Okay. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm really excited about this topic and uh, the, the film and the whole forum that you've pulled together. Um, so I work for a San Francisco-based nonprofit called the Bay Area Video Coalition, um, and I work in our youth programs department teaching in our Digital Pathways classes. And Digital Pathways is a um, five-track series of classes where students come in and learn uh, about an area of media production, um, including video, 3D gaming and animation, open source, and then two levels of audio production. And in these classes, um, they run more or less on a year uh, school year schedule. And afterwards, during the summer, students are placed into a 60-hour paid internship um, somewhere in their field. So um, a big part of what we're doing through the class is not only uh, facilitating students learning how to produce media, but also um, having them think, consider this pre-professional training and learning about what it means to actually work in the, in the industry. Um, so in my class specifically, you can, we kind of break it up into a couple of different uh, sections. The first one, um, we're learning primarily about composing and producing our own music using a program called Reason. Um, and the second half of the class is focused more on recording and mixing and other um, applications for audio in general. So um, a, a lot of my students come into the class because they are fans of music and primarily hip-hop music. Um, I'm going to show real quick uh, a couple of pages from my blog, which I use as my main teaching tool. See that? Um, these students are high school students, by the way, uh, 14 through 20. Okay. Um, so this is just an example of one of the early lessons. Um, it gives you a little bit of an idea of what Reason is. Um, basically, it's, it's a program that has all these sounds from drums and synthesizers to um, instruments modeled after actual acoustic instruments. So students are, are learning how to um, produce their own music from, from scratch using this program. Um, and we try to kind of focus on you know, producing quote unquote original music, meaning um, where they're actually learning to play with a keyboard and learn a little bit about um, scales and rhythm and, and those sorts of things. Up a new you. But covering a, a little bit of music theory. In a sense, um, we are trying to sort of fill the gap for a lot of music programming that's been cut from um, public schools. Uh, this is an after school program, I should mention. Um, so we do um, kind of emphasize uh, production of original music, but um, sampling and looping and uh, practices are also viable tools for creation. Um, so we do spend some time to these sorts of things. Um, and I would say that the film has been really valuable to me because there are so many of these issues that, that it lays out so well that um, are are challenging to discuss in the classroom without you know, a lot of um, deep personal knowledge of the legality um, and, and all these issues. So the, the film has provided a really good kind of focus to, to explore some of these things. But um, in terms of how I address these things in my class specifically, um, I would say that you know, while we are kind of pushing students to produce their own original melodies uh, and, and things of that sort. Um, it sort of depends on a case-by-case -case basis of what the student is trying to accomplish. Um, the truth is that with the internet, there's been so much um, available so immediately that 
um, for example, I might be letting students work on a project and then I turn around and they've already downloaded something off the internet, say a clip of some something popular off the radio, and they're already in the process of editing that and integrating it into their own composition. Um, so, you know, it's hard to tell where, where the lines should be drawn with that sort of thing. Um, I think I'm trying to pull up a, you know, so I guess generally we push them towards not using copyrighted materials and that sort of thing. But um, I have one, one former student who's now my TA, and he's a good example of someone I wouldn't try to discourage from copyrighted material. Find sounds. He a lot of bossa nova and old big band samples, like clips from um, classic Hollywood movies, very well-defined aesthetic um, that works very well and is integral to his own style. So in cases like that, I don't feel like it's my job to discourage him from making the music that he, he obviously is very passionate about. If anything, it's my job to help facilitate his artistic vision. Sorry that this isn't pulling up. I'm not aren't able to see the student file, I don't think. Hmm. Well, I, I went ahead and put the URL in the chat window so people can yeah. access it later. Yeah, so the student, if you get a chance, the student Quinn Gibson, um, you just click on the tab called My Music. Pop up. But the first first song in that playlist is a pretty good example of the kind of thing he does. In a case like that, I, f I want to support him in, in producing this, this music. Um, in other cases where I feel the student is maybe just taking something that's popular now and trying to kind of ride off of that, that's when I might uh, not discourage them, but maybe talk about how it, that's great that you're able to do that. Now let's take the elements that you like most about that music and see if you can't um, reproduce or imitate them in format that's more unique to yourself and your own style. That's a great suggestion. Great. Thanks, Chris. Um, I'm yeah. going to go ahead and yeah, let's let's get uh, Joe in the mix here because I see we're um, where the time is just getting away from us, and I apologize for that. Um, Joe is an award-winning educator and filmmaker who works with students to create um, really terrific multimedia uh, film projects and um, and produces one of the largest film festivals for student work in the, in, that I know of in the country um, with great results. So, uh, Joe, welcome. Uh, please show us what you do so well. Well, good evening, everyone, and I really appreciate being here tonight and having a chance to talk with the filmmakers in this audience. Uh, I'm lucky I teach a uh, nationally recognized multimedia program at Effingham High School located in Illinois, Effingham, Illinois, uh, with a great co-teacher, Craig Linval, and we have a full-blown production lab. We produce both short and long-form films. Uh, we've produced everything from crashing a train into a car for a driver's safety video up to traveling to France to premiere one of our films at the United Nations Human Rights Conference to everything in between. And in, a production, in addition to producing the films, the students uh, curate one of the largest uh, student-operated film festivals in the country. And media production is the centerpiece of everything that we do on a daily basis. And our students and their work are constantly held under a microscope for everyone to view. So it's important for us to look at copyright law. It's a demanding class that pays big dividends, and our kids need to understand in this day and age uh, what it is to deal with copyright. And so when I assign a project, one of the first things that I have to ask myself is, what is my role as an educator? And I found the answer to that question to be twofold. Uh, it's to help my students learn how to communicate with the world by creating media projects that are engaging. 
And, and audio and visuals are obviously a very important part of that process, and they help set tone and tell story. But the other part of my job is to help educate my students on the law and ethics that surround the media business. And unfortunately, in my opinion, we spend far too little time addressing this issue in classrooms and homes around the country. And in our classroom, you use the old adage, just because you can doesn't mean you should, as an instructional tool. And as teachers, I think it's important for us to remember that New advancements in technology make it incredibly easy for users to sample audio, video, visuals from almost every form of media and integrate it seamlessly into another project. However, that doesn't necessarily make it right. Our students need to understand that it's illegal when the parameters and what the parameters of the law are and how to protect their own work. Unfortunately, borrowing without permission has become an accepted practice with young adults globally. And over the years, that mindset has had a profound shape on the music industry and continues to do so. Uh, we spend a lot of time in our class discussing how students can legally acquire audio, music, and visual artifacts to produce a film. We, we use uh, products like Music Supervisor to purchase music. We uh, contact the artist uh, directly. We use GarageBand soundtracks or an assorted other number of inexpensive tools uh, to be able to gather our audio for our programming. Uh, tonight I'd like to share three examples with you of student work, and I'm just going to paste the links in because uh, we're not going to have time to watch all of them. But uh, the film last year that won our festival, and I'll put the piece in here right for you now so you can watch it at your leisure, was called A Sorry State of Love, and it was a romantic comedy. And uh, this young lady searched long and hard to set the tone for her film. And uh, we put her through the process of going through music supervisor, finding the right pieces, uh, paying for the copyright pieces. That was stuff that, that we had to do in our class. And you know, in the end, her film won our jury award. But the bigger piece for me was that she learned how to navigate through the process to be able to purchase copyrighted music as a 17-year-old kid. Uh, the next piece that uh, was one of the best films that we've ever had was called Speedwell. And it was another romantic comedy, but uh, it was based solely on a song. And the kid listened to the music and he got this idea of a great song. We're like, well, that's great. But you still have to get permission. So we had the kid go through, write up a letter. We talked him through what's the best way to write it, find a producer, went through the whole piece. And you know what? The artist was extremely flattered and said, absolutely, we'd like you to use this. Now, would fair use have fallen in this case? Maybe so. But the kid learned a better lesson by having to step through the process. And it paid big dividends for him because now he's in the industry and he already has a head start on, the, on being able to do that. Uh, the, the last piece that, that I think, think is very interesting, and I hope you get a chance to see this, one of our kids created an award-winning animation that I really, really have grown passionate about. And a lot of the early part of this segment that I put in, it's all background sounds. And you know, this is a piece that gets overlooked. We can go out and rip lightsaber sounds off or all types of different sounds from famous music. But is that what we want our kids to do? Uh, background or nat sounds are a critical part of the storytelling process. In our environment, students have to create their own. And there are very cheap, cost-effective tools that allow you to do this. So if you, I hope you get a chance to watch this. We use GarageBand. You can buy the product for under $100. And it sounds like it was created in a professional studio. So I guess in closing on my part is I believe that it's important to both teach the students how to operate the technology to produce the desired track, but also gain appreciation for the intellectual property and the laws that protect it. That's my piece right now. Thanks, Joe. Great. Jenny, are you there? I'm here. So um, last but not least, I, I wanted to introduce Annalise Wunderlich, who is the National Community Engagement and Education Manager for the Independent Television Service. Uh, Annalise has been um, on the mic a lot already, so you've heard her. Um, but now she's going to tell you a little bit about the curriculum that was created um, in connection with copyright criminals, which provides uh, video clips and lesson plans that you can use with your students to help to introduce and explore some of these issues in your own classroom. Great. Thanks, Jenny. Um, 
So I just want to quickly let you know that um, the Independent Television Service has a lot of free resources for educators. We take some of our best films, like Copyright Criminals, from our series Independent Lens, which is on PBS Tuesday nights, and create lesson plans and video modules that are all free for teachers online as streaming video, or also you can purchase, you can order a free DVD on the website. So I'll just um, do you have those slides, Jenny, that uh, I sent you earlier, just to quickly walk folks through what we have? Okay. So this is just a quick um, overview of the, of the lesson plans. They're really geared for high school and college, but they can be scaffolded for middle school as well. Um, they're all aligned to national standards and vetted by a number of uh, national organizations for educators. And they are flexible, unit designed. So there's four activities total. Each are about 90 to 120 minutes, and they're really designed um, to, to work with your curriculum. Um, and so if we could just go to the next slide, I can quickly show folks what it looks like. Um, so this is the one that we've developed for copyright criminals, and we are going to launch this on March 20th. And I posted a link over there in the chat um, about where you can go to get these resources um, after March 20th. Um, and I'll just pull up really quickly what the next an activity looks like. Um, let's go to the next slide, Jenny. And yeah, here we go. So each activity basically comes with a video module taken from the film. They're all about five minutes long, the video modules. And they come with really great previewing activities, discussion ideas, additional resources, links um, to other websites that have a lot of great information. And they're all designed to walk students through the nuances of copyright law, fair use, um, attribution, and then also just really looking at remix culture, um, where it has been and where it is heading. Um, so it, it asks students to draw connections to what has happened with other art forms, um, literature, jazz, blues, and, and look at how um, historically artists have remixed um, and used others' work. Um, and, and then it also takes a look at where technology is taking us now in terms of remix culture and getting students to think a little more thoughtfully about how to address copyright issues and how to think about fair use in their, in their own work. Um, I don't know if we have time for uh, a little glimpse from the module. I think we need to move on to questions and answers so we can hear from all of you. Um, but please do come and check our website um, on March 20th so you can get these resources. So now I want to open it up to, to having a quick panel discussion and hearing from some of you. Um, there was one question that came up earlier that someone was curious about the differences between mashups and remixes and collage and derivative art. And I'm wondering if Peter, you, or Kembrew want to, to tackle that and, and sort of let folks know what you think the differences are between all of these different collages. I think I'm going to pass to Kembrew on that one. <laughs> okay. This is Kimbrew. Um, uh, the question about the difference between mashups, remixes, uh, really, I mean, there's no difference. They're all different forms of collage. And mashups tend to refer to when you simply take an instrumental pa musical passage from one song and the a cappella vocal of another song, and you basically mash them together. That's what a mashup refers to. And that's probably the thing that your students are most familiar with. But um, there are many other, it, it's just a sub subcategory of the larger category of collage. Great. Um, Joe and Chris, what do you do, how do you teach your students about copyright law? Or where do you go for information when questions arise? Hi, this is Chris. Um, well, I think that largely we, le we, we have class discussions about this, um, not so much me trying to lead them 
okay, this is here's you know exactly what you need to know. There's this website, da, da, da. but I think we talk about it more in kind of practical terms. And the biggest question that I tend to pose is, okay, if you make a piece of music and then you put it out there, and someone else takes a piece of that and you know, is successful with it, makes money with it, or whatever, then how would how would you feel about that? Because um, essentially, that's a big uh, essence of what's happening with sampling, and I think just that kind of self-reflection tends to uh, kind of a more informed way with which they approach their projects. Great, Joe. Do you have any different ideas? I know you're mentioning over in the chat here that um, one idea is getting kids to go through what might be involved with copyright clearance, so they get, gain an appreciation for that process. Well, we spend a lot of we spend a lot of time uh, working through kind of the same process where we talk to our kids, and when they pitch their projects to us, we'll talk to them about the music selections. If there's anything in doubt, then we'll go back and research what's available, what's not, and you know, we've we've discussed it with copyright lawyers. Uh, we've discussed it with production companies, but I think the big piece is is just always putting the the thought in front of the kids' head and helping them reason through it, and then helping them understand the purpose behind copyright law. And typically, because we do that, we really never run into any issues that way. Okay, what are some good places to turn to for open source content? I'm thinking of Creative Commons, Prelinger Archives. Um, places where students can go for their projects and not have to worry about rights clearances. Freesound.org is a really great um, source of all kinds of sound effects and even some music loops. I highly recommend it for any kind of audio post-production. This is Kimberly. I'll jump in. Um, I also recommend just simply going to Google and Yahoo, other search engines. Uh, all the major search engines have, if you go into the advanced settings, a way that you can search for Creative Commons licensed material. And for those of you who don't know what Creative Commons is, it's the name of an organization that makes it very simple and easy for m music makers, authors, any kind of creator to essentially um, attach a legally binding license to that work that tells the audience out there, I'm fine with you remixing my work for non-commercial purposes or whatever. In other words, uh, it sort of creates a lawyer-free zone um, where you don't have to go through a, a layer of different attorneys and artist managers or whatever to get permission to use uh, a, a, a work. This is Peter. I, I want to add my 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 praise for for Creative Commons as a source of material. It's often just what a mature creator or a or a student needs. But there are going to be situations in which the specific needs of a creator aren't going to be satisfied by any of the material that's available on Creative Commons, and in which they are going to be satisfied only by some piece of existing copyrighted content. And those are the situations in which fair use applies. And usually if the if the creator can explain well why that material is required, then he or she is nine tenths of the way home toward justifying the use as a fair one. I posted a little while ago a link to some materials on fair use in in media literacy teaching that my colleague Pat Aufdereiting and I have had a hand in producing along with Renee Hobbs at Temple University. I'd, I'd urge you to take a look at those. They're an excellent source of information about what to do when nothing but fair use will serve your purposes. This is Kimberly. I'd like to jump back in again and echo what Peter said. Because um, I mean, as a teacher, uh, I realize that the sorts of materials that students want to use are materials that resonate with them in their life. And a lot of Creative Commons licensed content is fairly obscure. It, so the, the use of Creative Commons songs, for instance, would probably be most useful if a student simply wants to use 
uh, an instrumental passage as background music for a video that they're putting together. And in, in, in certain cases, that kind of use might not be a fair use, so it's fairly safe or it's a safe way um, uh, that is using the Creative Commons licensed uh, instrumental music, for instance, as background for a student video. And I'm talking about you know 30 seconds, a minute, or whatever. Um, that that's a pretty uh, safe way of of getting content. This is Jenny. I'd love to Great. jump in with a question here, if I may, um, because I saw a couple people asking questions along the same lines. And I think this is a question for Peter, which is, if your students create something for classroom use, but then that that work gets posted on the web and shared with a larger audience, do you have to worry about copyright and fair use law in a different way than you would if that work were just kept within the classroom walls? You do not. One of the wonderful things about fair use is that it is non-platform specific. The justifications for fair use apply with equal force to commercial and non-commercial uses. And in fact, most of the successful invocations of the fair use doctrine over the 175 years or so of its existence have been by commercial users. So if your students can justify what they're doing in the classroom, there's no harm whatsoever in that material finding its way onto the web. Great. Do I have time for one more quick question, Jenny? Yeah, we definitely. Need to and then uh, I'm afraid we're we're running out of time. Okay. I just wanted to ask Peter or Kimber if you have seen or heard of any new developments regarding copyright infringement in hip hop. And um, this this was actually came from Chris wondering about the widespread spread practice of releasing mixtapes, which maybe Chris you could elucidate a little bit what the mixtape phenomenon is all about with uh, young media producers these days. Sure. Well, just really quickly, um, there's a common promotional practice um, among primarily hip-hop artists where they're releasing um, material prior to the release of a formal album. Um, and this material is a mix of original beats and, and songs that they put together as well as um, frequently rapping over existing um, often popular beats that you hear on the radio or on MTV, and um, these are put out as supposedly a promotional device. But um, frankly, a lot of the young people I work with now talk only about putting out mixtapes and not to not talk about putting out albums anymore. So it's been kind of a change in the culture, I think. So this is Kimbrew. So as for the question about what new developments in the world of mixtapes and lawsuits over hip hop, uh, there. There are people like um, Lil Wayne who have released, in fact, he released over 50 mixtapes in the past three years. He's a huge rapper, huge star. Um, and he actually has been sued by some people who, uh, who were sampled in some of the songs that he released for free on a mixtape. Um, and, you know, I, I'll again echo what Peter said at the very beginning about the fact that. Fair use may very well and probably does apply to a lot of the kinds of, or at least some, at the very least some of the kinds of samples that are used um, in hip hop songs in the way that they're used in a uh, transformative way. Thanks, Kembrew. Um, I'm afraid I'm going to have to jump in here. We're, we're running over, and I feel like we barely scratched the surface. So clearly, another uh, webinar on this topic is, is um, needed, and hopefully, we'll be able to schedule one before too long. But I definitely want to thank all of our speakers, and I hope that you all will, will hang with me for just a couple of minutes, um, and hopefully our speakers will continue to um, maybe answer questions in the chat window while I'm, I'm sharing some wrap-up information. Um, thank you all. This has been really informative, and, and I would love to keep talking for a long time if, if I could. Um, but I, I'm also cognizant that it's late for some folks, and some folks have to get up early and teach tomorrow. So I want to make sure before folks leave us tonight that I get a chance to let you know about some webinars that we have coming up in our schedule. We actually have four coming up in, in as many weeks. So we hope you'll join us for those. Uh, on March 16th, we have Dr. Mae Jemison, who is a NASA astronaut, chemical engineer, uh, doctor, 
scientist um, talking about um, her experiences uh, teaching science and ways of engaging students in science and technology and engineering and math. And some producers from the new show, Sci Girls, are going to be talking specifically about how you engage girls in science. On March 25th, we have a webinar about the Buddha and teaching mindfulness, how you can teach both about the Buddha's life and about his teachings in um, a variety of different subject areas. Uh, on April 5th, we'll be celebrating the 40th anniversary of Earth Day with producers of two upcoming films focused on uh, the environment and Earth Day. And on April 7th, we'll be talking about a new version of Anne, the Diary of Anne Frank coming out from Masterpiece on PBS um, and how, how people can use that in a classroom. So we hope you'll join us for all of those events. We hope you'll join PBS Teachers, the sponsor, one of our the sponsors of tonight's event. We're a web store, a website where we have um, educational resources from PBS producers, um, from our general audience as well as our kids producers. These are all free resources available for you to use in your classroom. They're standards aligned and they include lesson plans, activities, interactives, videos, and more. We also have an online community there. So if you're interested in talking more about tonight's topic or other uh, hot topics in education, we hope you'll join the community and, and share your thoughts there. We have an Innovation Awards program happening right now, and the deadline to submit applications is just days away. But if you're an innovative educator and you're doing interesting things to engage your students in the classroom, we hope that you will submit an application um, in addition to being able to win uh, smart boards, you can also win a, a trip to our premier uh, PBS event where you'll get to meet PBS producers and share with them what you're doing with your students. Uh, we hope you'll join Classroom 2.0, a very active um, social network for educators interested in applying collaborative technologies in the classroom. And I want to thank Illuminate for uh, sponsoring tonight's event, for hosting. Um, and please, if you're interested in getting a letter um, confirming your attendance at tonight's event, a survey is going to pop up just after you close out of this window. If you fill out that survey, you'll see one of the questions asks you about whether you want to get a letter. So hopefully um, you will fill that out and let us know if you want to get a letter and we'll send that out to you as soon as possible. And as we mentioned before, tonight's event will be archived at both PBS Teachers and Classroom 2.0. So please come visit the sites after tonight's event to get a full recording of what you've seen and heard. So this is just a little information about the survey. Um, I want to thank Kembrew and Peter and Joe and Chris so much for being here tonight and sharing your experiences and expertise. I hope that all of you as participants found this information useful and I see there's a lot going on in the chat right now so hopefully you're getting some of those questions that did, we didn't have a chance to address verbally answered right now um, or you will be able to follow up with our presenters. They were all kind enough to, to offer their uh, contact information on their slides so hopefully you'll be able to get in touch with them directly. Uh, but there's obviously a lot of interest and, um, and a lot of really great questions. So thank you all for being here tonight. We really appreciate it and we hope you'll join us in the future. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Good night. Thank you. <laughs>